0: in America. I mean, think about this. How often do you get on Facebook? How often do you get on Facebook and hear people celebrating? Oh, God is good because I got a job. God is good because this thing that could have happened that was bad didn't happen. God is good because he gave me what I wanted. How often do you hear that? I mean, if you hear a, a read of a post on Facebook, in 90% of the time, and maybe that's not a scientific percentage, but the majority of the time when you read about how God is good, it's because they've received something that they appreciate, that they like. But how often? How often do we stop and, 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 and make posts on Facebook that say, I lost my job. I'm having to get on food stamps but God is a good provider. How how many times have you read on Facebook, I lost my uncle, and I'm sad and I'm hurting, but God is a great comforter. How often do we get on Facebook and celebrate God's goodness in spite of the fact that it doesn't feel like it in our circumstance? You see, even in the American church, we are affected in a major way, by the sense of prosperity, by this desire for stuff. And we hoard our goods. And we we, we strive for for the same things that many many people in the world are striving for, to have large bank accounts, to be able to drive the BMW. I, I I work at the airport, for those of you that don't know. And I... Uh, deal with customers that own their own airplanes and and one of them happens to be a a prosperity preacher he comes in flashing his stuff comes in celebrating all the physical wealth that he has but as he stands in our shop that's obviously full of people who aren't christian Who are facing him, recognizing that he is a pastor. He never once celebrates Jesus. Never. Look at what I have. Look at all of this that I have. Our American churches, we 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 have been so invaded and we just don't understand it. We don't we don't see it. We don't hear it often enough this life that we've been called to is not a life for sissies. It is not a life for sissies. It is a tough life. It is a difficult walk. But it's one that we can walk and we can have hope in finishing and overcoming because Jesus did the work for us. Jesus closes his teaching to the apostles with a summary statement. It's in John 16, verse 33. If you've got your Bibles, you might flip there real quickly. We'll actually be flipping all the way back through John 13. The verses won't be on on the overhead just because it's just too many verses, but we will be kind of summarizing his entire teaching in this passage today. In John 16, 33, Jesus crushes the lie of the prosperity gospel. And he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He starts off by saying, I I have said these things, I have said these things. So what did he say to them? There's a lot of interpreters that want to just jump back just a few verses and and look at what he had said in the immediate context. I I don't agree with that. I think that we can see easily that Jesus had been teaching since the beginning of John chapter 13. This is an ongoing teaching. This is one long sermon from Jesus Christ. Lasted a couple, three hours as he sat in the upper room with them and he taught. And as as he walked with them on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And He taught. And he taught them and he, he comforted them and he pastored them. It's one solid long teaching. And so I think that to truly understand what it is that he said to them, we have to jump back. We have to stop and, and take some time and get all that we've studied over the last few months, starting in John 13, and get it back in our head. So in John 13, if you've got your Bible, you can flip back and, and just uh, just kind of thumb, thumb, thumb through this with me. I'll spit that out in just a second. <clears throat> But he starts, he's in the upper room, he's, he's, he's dealing with them, he's teaching them, he's given them the Lord's Supper to follow. And he begins to talk to them about some serious things that they are going to experience. He steps down and he, he serves them, he, he washes their feet, he does something for them that they, they blows them away. But he tells them that one of their own is going to betray them. One of the people that's walked with them for three years as he's done this ministry and one of the people that they have come to trust and come to, come to adore really. One of these people is going to betray him. And not just is one person going to betray him, but he's about to leave. And where he's going, they cannot go. They can't follow him. So this man that, that they've followed, that they've left their life for, some of them were fishermen, some of them were tax collectors. You know, the, the thing is, they were just ordinary dudes walking an ordinary life, living life and, and doing what they did. And Jesus comes along and he says, follow me, and he starts walking, and they walk behind him, and they follow him, and they will leave everything behind. This guy that's done that, that's that's brought them into this life, says, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. Oh, and by the way, for those of you that are, that are strong-hearted and courageous like Peter, boy, he, he jumped up and said, hey, Jesus, I'm going to go wherever you go, no matter what the cost. Jesus says, Peter, the rooster's not even going to crow before you deny me three times. This is the guy that Jesus called rock. This is the guy that Jesus, he changed his name because he was such a solid dude. He was, he was going to be bold and courageous, and he always had a word to say. He was a leader. But the rooster's not even a crow before you deny me three times. You see, Jesus, he continues, and in John chapter 14, you can flip over and you can see that in G- Jesus, as, he, as he's dealing with them, he, he's still in the upper room. He's just washed their feet. He's, he's now comforting them because they hear these truths. They hear these things that he's got to say. And they're, they're, they're broken hearted. They're, they're, they're worried. They're nervous. They're scared. He begins to comfort them. And he tells them that, that when he goes... He's going to send another helper, another of the same kind, someone to come alongside of them and help them. He tells them that as as he's, as he's teaching them and comforting them, he teaches them that, hey, don't worry, because I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And when that work is done, when all the work is done and the time is right, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you and to bring you to where I'm at. I'm never going to leave you as orphans, he tells them. You won't be alone. See, because in the coming of the Spirit, the other helper, the helper is going to reveal Jesus to them. He's going to show them truth. He's going to encourage them and and embolden them and empower them for this life. And that's what he talks to them about in John chapter 14. He continues to tell them to expect that he's not going to be with them all the way. Are in the same way, and then in John chapter fifteen, after they've left the upper room, he says, "All right, it's time to go. Time is short. We need to get out of here." He's on the way to the on the way to the garden, and he begins to teach them about the 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 the, uh, the vineyard, and he begins to teach them about this life that they have and and what they can expect as 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 vines are, or, or I'm sorry, as branches attached to the vine. They are going to be fruitful. they they they're, they're, they're going to be used in an amazing way for the glory of God. But he tells them, for those that aren't fruitful, you know, there's there's not a great outcome. They're caught, cut off, and they're thrown into the fire. They're burned. That sounds pretty bad. It's scary to think if my life doesn't produce fruit. If if there's not an attachment to the vine and 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 it doesn't produce fruit, it's not not that I get up and run and do it. It's it's that His work just is naturally coming through me and it doesn't produce fruit. Then I'm a fake i a fraud, and I'll be cut off and thrown in the fire. He says, even those who produce fruit, though, even those who produce fruit are going to be pruned. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound as bad as being thrown in the fire, but it doesn't necessarily sound like it's going to feel good, but it's going to be pleasant. I mean, to prune a branch, you're cutting stuff off of it. You're removing pieces of it that it might be better and stronger and more healthy and more able to produce fruit. You see, Jesus is teaching them that some of those struggles and, and, and the things that happen in their life, they, they need to approach them as if they're given by God Himself to shape and mold His people that they might bear fruit. And In John 15, He, he, he gives them assurance. Hey, when you're on my mission, When you're doing what I've called you to do, you can ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. But as you're on my mission, the world is going to see you as an enemy and they're going to hate you because of my name, because of who you are in me, because I have chosen you, he says in John 15, because I have chosen you they will hate you and, and you know i mean come on jesus this is supposed to be a good life supposed to give us everything we want you just said anything we ask in your name well but well, jesus i don't want to be hated you know he continues in john 16 these people that are going to persecute you they're going to they're going to hate you they're going to kick you out of the synagogue they're going to kill you in God's name. in God's name they're going to kill you thinking that they are doing some great service to God. Whew. Jesus, wait a minute I don't know if the, I, don't, I don't know if I signed up for this. no take heart listen. the Spirit he's going to be with you and you're going to be empowered in him as, as you walk in this mission you're going to be empowered by him, you're going to be strengthened by him. And you know what? I'm telling you all this now so that you can know my joy and that you can have it in fullness so that it's going to overflow and bubble up out of you. And I'm, I'm telling you these things now because you need to know it so that you'll love one another. Even as the Father has loved me, I have loved you, he says. Now you're to love one another as I loved you. He says, in the same way that He loved them, they were to turn now and love uh, one another. That that love that He had shed on them was to be alive in them and active in them and and touching each other through them. That joy that that they had experienced in His presence was to be something they continued to experience. And he sums it all up in this verse, 1633. He says, I'm telling you these things so that you might have peace. He not only wants us to experience his joy, and not only does he want us to experience his love, he wants us to experience peace. You know, and as as we're on this mission, as he's calling these people to go on this mission, and now us, as his disciples, as his people, as he's calling us to move forward on this mission, to push forward, he's telling us, when you're on that mission, he says it in John 16 even, as as he closes out, he's saying, you come to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. You see, it's passages like this. I, I, we we have to stop and we have to think about that. It's passages like that and the one in John chapter fourteen where Jesus is saying, "Anything you ask in my name, I'll do it for you." It, it's passages like that and others like it that people misconstrue and misinterpret and say, "You know what? That just means I can ask whatever I want and He'll give it to me. I'll just say whatever I want in His name." So let's see. I want to. I want to. I want to um, Harley in Jesus' name. I want uh I, I tell you what I really want. I want our church to grow so that it can pay me so that I don't have to work two jobs. In Jesus' name. Name it, claim it, baby. It's mine, right? What do you want? In Jesus' name. What do you want? Come on. You see, he's not saying that. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. No, don't hear me saying that. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's promising them. He's telling them, as you live as I've called you to live, as you, as you work as I've called you to work, you have my authority. You see, this isn't a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a get-what-you-want-and-overflow-your-own-abundance-and-make-yourself-feel-good-and-secure-in-this-world. And and, and it's, it's not a scheme in that at all. It's a promise that you will have power to bring the gospel. The world around you. It's not a get rich get get rich quick, quick scheme. It, it's, it's not something that centers its focus around you and what we want in our selfish desires. It's not about that at all. It's about understanding where Jesus was headed and standing in his authority on his mission. And being able to cry out to God and trust that the power necessary to fulfill what God is doing will be there. That is an amazing promise. That is an awesome promise that should encourage us to move forward. That should encourage us to take a stand for truth. They're so misinterpreted and misapplied that people think that they can have whatever they want and celebrate it. They they celebrate the gift. Just just as the video s- said, they celebrate the gift rather than the giver. They celebrate what they have and they find their identity and their security in it. And, and and they feel good because they have a lot of money in the bank, and they feel good because they got the big dream house that they've always wanted, and they feel good because they got the two cars and the cats and the dogs. And they feel good because they've arrived at some ideal place in their life. And yet that doesn't sound anything like what Jesus is teaching these men as he sent them on mission. In this world, you will have tribulation. But he wants us, he wants us to know his peace. That's why he's telling us these things. He wants us to know his joy. That's why he's telling us these things. He wants us to experience his love. That's why he's telling us these things. You see, those, those are the real blessings. It is a blessing from God to be able to experience peace in the midst of great turmoil. It is a blessing of God to know joy that's not based on some circumstantial thing that's that's temporary in this world. It's a blessing of God to realize what real and and deep and unconditional love looks like and feels like. It is a blessing of God to be able to experience Him. It's a blessing of God to realize what we deserve from Him, at the same time we understand what we have received from Him. You see, it's it's the real blessing. It's the real blessing to experience His presence in you. It's the real real blessing to, to, to know that His Spirit lives in you, that you will never be orphans. It's the real blessing. To know that His grace covers you. You see... This is the blessings that we've been guaranteed. This is the blessings that, 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 that fill our lives or should fill our lives, that should be, be the things that Jesus has given us that will never fail, that will never, they will never falter, but they're only found in Him. They are only found in Him. He says it. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have, it means persecution, problems, Testings, trials—that's what that means. That means that as you live the life you've been called to live, as you as you push forward in the, in the work that He's given you to do, there are going to be people who stand against you. There are going to be circumstances that that don't look like they're going to work out for you. There are going to be there there, there are going to be instances that that you that you struggle in and obstacles that you don't think you can overcome. There are going to be things that seemingly might stop you. But take heart, I have overcome. I'm telling you this so that you can have peace. In this world, you're going to experience trouble. But take heart, I have overcome. You see, the prosperity gospel, one of the main problems I have with it, and there's a lot, but particularly in, in this context, one of the problems I have with it is that the prosperity gospel measures everything in your life and God's goodness based on what you have and what you continue to receive. Well, you must not have enough faith if you don't have big fat jewelry on your hands. You must not have enough faith if, if your 401K is not performing well. You must not have enough faith if, if, if I healed you yesterday and you're still sick today. You must not have enough faith. You don't believe enough. Oh, that, that, that happened good. Well, God really is good, isn't he? Boy, he, he's great. He, he got you a job. That's good. You know, don't, don't hear me saying that, that those gifts that he gives us, these things that we can have and, the, and the, physical, uh, the, the physical world that we live in, that it's all bad. Don't hear me saying that. Don't, don't hear me saying that to have a 401k that's performing well. Is, is really uh, of the devil? No, I don't. it's not that. It's okay. Thank God for it. Thank God for it. You got a nice house? You got fancy stuff in your house? Thank God for it. You got the car you want? You got the job of your dreams? You got the life that you want to live? Thank God for it. It is a gift but don't measure his good by it. Because those things are temporary. And they will fail. And what's here today may very well be gone tomorrow. You know how you know God is good? Because you can know grace. You can know his mercy. You can know his assurance. You can know his peace. You can know his joy. You can know his love. And you know why we can count on that? You know why that that will never fail? You know why that comes as a guarantee and, and, and is, is undoubtable and is unquestionable? Because Jesus says, I have overcome. You see, this is our hope. The tomb was empty. Jesus is alive. That is our hope. That's our guarantee. His joy, His peace, His love, it's real and substantial. Not because we're listening to some teaching of a dead man in the ground. But because we have a risen Savior. We have a risen Lord who is at the right hand of the Father. Bestowing His blessings on His people through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we know it's real. That's why we can count on it. That's why it's our hope. Jesus Christ is alive. He has overcome and if you have any hope in this world of overcoming, it's not because you have a big house or a big bank account or a fancy car or rings on your fingers and, and shoes on your feet. It's because Jesus is alive. And He has given this as a promise. You will have trouble in the world, but He has overcome. That's the hope we have. That's the promise. Of the guarantee, that's the the the, the sense that, that we can know that in this moment, no matter what's happening around us, we can have peace. No matter what the circumstances hold us, hold for us, we know we can have joy. You see, Jesus was talking to men, this entire teaching that he had been giving, this entire teaching he had been giving was full of warnings and 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 telling them cautions that they were going to have trouble. People are gonna hate you because of me, he said. You're going to miss me. I'm going to be gone from you. Somebody's going to deny me. Somebody's going to betray me. This is going to be a tough life, he says. And that's not the only time he taught it. In, in in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, he says, He who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance isn't something that happens in the easy life. You know, when you're, when you're living champagne dreams and, or champagne wishes and caviar dreams, when you're living that life, you're not enduring anything. You're just floating happy and free. Not a care in the world. Well, that's not totally true because there's plenty of people who have lots of stuff who are miserable. And they kill themselves. And when they lose it, they feel destroyed and they feel empty because their whole hope was in it. He's calling us to a life of endurance. This is no life for sissies. You need to be a stud. You need to be tough. You need to, well, not all of you are going to man up because you're obviously not men, but, I mean, seriously. We got to be ready to follow him, to be empowered by him because we can't, we can't be ready by ourselves. You know, he also says in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I don't know about you. I mean, I've not seen anybody crucified lately. But people who heard that understood what he was saying. Because it was a regular occurrence for them to see someone dragging a cross through their streets. It was a regular occurrence to see someone hanging, dying in agony. Pick up your cross, he says. That sound like an easy life? The whole time he'd been calling his disciples, he'd been warning them of this. He'd been telling them of this. This is a tough life. The toughest life you could ever think to imagine. You know why it is? Because there's sin in the world. Because the world doesn't know the Father. And so it doesn't know me. And it's not going to know you. That's what he's taught in John chapter 16 and 15. And and, and because it's fallen and it's got a different God and it stands against us, it's going to stand against you. And as long as sin reigns, this will be the truth. You will experience trouble. But take heart i have overcome you see he has won the victory i talked to the talked to the guys about this yesterday paul picked up on this theme you know he didn't he didn't walk with jesus he was empowered by the spirit he was he was given the words to say and to write but he understood this theme very clearly and when he wrote to Timothy and challenged Timothy to, to live the life that God had called him to live in 2 Timothy 2-3, he says this. Share in suffering. Let me say it again. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He goes on to break out that, that Timothy is to, is to train like the soldier, to compete like the athlete, to, to, uh, to work hard like the farmer. Those aren't easy lives. That's not the the easy call. Why in the world would we ever do it? Why would we ever follow? Because He has overcome. See, He's our hope, He's our victory, He's our promise. His call to follow Him is not simply to suffer and struggle in vain but that you too might overcome. You see, he's telling this to the disciples, not as just a warning, but as an encouragement. I have already done it. And where I'm going, I am going to bring you with me. I have overcome, and so you can overcome. And you know what that means for you and me? We can overcome. Jesus' call for the believer is not simply to to manage through life, but to rest in Him, to experience His peace, to know His joy, to feel His love and love as He is loved. To overcome the world and the sin that so easily entangles us. To find that victory in Him. And where does He point it all to? Where do you find it? In me, not me, in Jesus, in him. So as you're sitting here today, I'm not asking you to feel guilty because you have something. I got stuff. I do. And I thank God I got it. But I know that that stuff could be gone tomorrow tornado could wipe out our house and you know what i'm still gonna love jesus and i'm still gonna know that i have the victory in jesus and i'm still gonna know that he's sovereign and reigns and that whatever happens i've been promised i'm gonna have trouble now but he has overcome and that gives me great hope for what's coming doesn't mean a bigger house doesn't mean a better car, doesn't mean a better bigger bank account. It means that one day I have the hope that He will come back and He will get me and take me to be with Him. And you, as you believe in Christ, can have that hope as well. You see, for some of you you need to be challenged with this message because you have been influenced by the idea of prosperity and, and that God's blessing is only on you as you receive financial wealth and physical health. You need to be challenged by this. And it may be that you have things in your life that you need to get rid of because you're looking to them for your hope and for your identity. Maybe maybe, maybe you have, have stuff at home that, that it just makes you feel good to have it. Maybe you just need to go home and sell that and give the money to the poor. Maybe, maybe you've got a bank account that you couldn't imagine living life without. When we first got married, Amy and I, she was used to having a certain amount of money in the bank account. Remember that? <laughs> that did laugh, did it? It's easy to do. It's easy to be- begin to feel comfortable with that amount of money. Well, I feel safe because I've got that amount of money in the bank account. Before we got married, I was happy to have $5 at the end of my pay period. And you know what? My car still ran. I still had a house to live in and I always had food. And you know what else? I was still giving to the church. And you know what else? I still had money left over to go and have fun with friends. And you know what else? I had stuff in my house that other people might not have. But I was happy. I was content. And Amy learned really quick that our hope is not in our bank account because we got used to living that way. That's the truth. And maybe you're putting your hope in that. Maybe you're, maybe you're placing your hope in, in the money that you can make or the or the physical health that you have or the, 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 the 401k retirement plan. That, change your mind about it. Repent. That is not going to bring you any real hope. There is no promise that it will be there when you need it. But you can have peace in Christ because He has overcome. You know, I'm struggling to get by every month, but boy, I sure enjoy my cable and my data plan and my uh, internet and my this and that. You know what? Those things don't—they they don't measure a man. They don't—they—they they, they don't bestow God's blessing on you. Quit struggling and trying to live up to the expectations of the world. Get rid of it and get on mission. Oh, but I got to, you know, I got to have this stuff. Hmm. Yeah, you probably do. But how often has it failed you? What kind of guarantee is it giving you? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. I don't want you to walk out of here today thinking that to be holy or righteous, you have to go sell all your goods and and, and get rid of all your stuff and live live a a meager, meager life. If God has blessed you in, in physical ways, thank Him and use those blessings for His glory. And if he takes them from you, don't doubt God's goodness. Celebrate his greatness. Because it's in him that you have your hope. It's in him that you find your identity. It's in him that you place your trust. There is no real gospel presented in prosperity. We have been promised as we live the life that we've been called to live that we will have trouble. But Jesus has overcome. Every head bowed and every eye closed.